reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that great chapter concerning the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will read the first paragraph and then the last paragraph. So verses 1 through 11 and then 50 through 58. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you you believed. Then verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Excuse me, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, na- your labor is not in vain. Please be seated. Let's pray. Dear Father, to know that as we come into Your presence, And as we call you Father, it is because you have adopted us and you have made us your children. And Father, as we come before you as children, we have many needs. And yet you know us all. And you know those needs. And Father, as the one who provides perfectly 
We look forward to how you're going to meet our needs, whether they be financial, whether they be occupational, whether they be emotional needs, whether they be physical, whatever it is, dear Father, you are that one who is faithful. We're reminded of the words of Jeremiah as he wrestled through his own limitations and his own uh, frustrations, his own agony. And he said, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's loving kindnesses that we are not consumed, for His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. What a blessing to live life knowing that you are described by your loving kindnesses, by your compassions, and by your faithfulness. Help us to relish that, dear Father. And to experience that peace that passeth all understanding. Even as Paul encouraged us to, though he was in jail, bound, because of his faithfulness to his Savior and his Lord. May we approach life that very same way. Father, we pray again for the, the, the new beginning that this congregation will experience. And we pray, dear Father, as Pastor Hoke comes on board, that, that you just blessed him. And you'd use him, Father, to feed this congregation, to strengthen the congregation, to encourage the congregation that the ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Biloxi, Mississippi will be that which will exalt the name of Jesus. Father, we pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we begin, we understand that... Uh, this is a special Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, but uh, let me kind of preface it by beginning with the, with the fact that we realize that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. The reason we worship on Sunday is because of Jesus having been raised from the grave on the first day of the week. It was hundreds of years in the past that a special day was set aside for us to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but that's kind of sad because every Sunday is an acknowledgement of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The very fact that we are here on the first day of the week is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So, as we think through that and as we think through the implications of it, this morning, please remember every Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Christianity rests on the, third, on the certainty of Jesus' resurrection. It is history. The Gospels, the entire goal of the Gospel accounts, lead up to the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances. The account that I read in Matthew as the women went to the tomb and as they were greeted by the angel, He is not here. He is risen. 
the story of the road to Emmaus, as the Lord Jesus Christ appears to these men who are traveling. They don't recognize who He is, and yet He shares with them the essence of the Gospel, and He shares with them the facts that led up to this crucifixion, this sacrificial death. All of it, all of it in accordance to the Scripture, fulfillment of the Scripture. And He demonstrates through the Scripture that He is the one who is the fulfillment of it. The account of Thomas in John's account. Good old doubting Thomas, which probably uh, we, we may put that tag on him, but more often than not, I would have been in that same situation. He wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to these men. Remember these brave men who were going to go with Jesus all the way. But when Jesus was seized, they split. And we know of Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they were hidden in this room. And Jesus appears to them. Thomas isn't there that first time. And so, uh, when, when, when Thomas does come back and they tell him about Jesus is here, we saw Him. His response, oh no, that didn't really happen. You, know, you can only imagine the words. You say, you guys were too emotionally involved. That wasn't truly Him. I want to... Touch his hands. I want to touch his side, Thomas said. Second time Jesus appears, Thomas touches his hands in his side. And the response of Thomas, my Lord and my God. The fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead sets the stage for the Great Commission as these men, cowards now changed, having witnessed the risen Lord, go out and literally turn the world upside down because of their living Savior, their risen Lord. So in all the Gospel accounts, we see the resurrection emphasized. In the book of Acts, it insists upon the resurrection. Listen as we read, first of all, as Luke states the theme in the book of Acts, and then Peter's sermon accounts, and Paul's as well. Luke writes in chapter 1, verse 3, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Why 40 days? It didn't have anything really. Then. Don't put a whole lot of stock in numbers, you know. Rain for 40 days, 40 nights, you know, Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days. Don't, don't worry so much about that. That's just given to us as factional data. But the emphasis upon him being there for 40 days was that he spent time with him so that they knew this was Jesus. Ghosts don't eat. And they spent time with Him. And he, and he taught them basically reminding them of the things that He had taught them as He prepared them because they really didn't, I don't believe, they really didn't understand the significance of Jesus until, yes, He was raised from the grave as the Scriptures said were going to happen. And that's what revolutionized these men. And he spent this time with them. Peter, in his first sermon at Pentecost, tells us in chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested 
to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs which God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves know. Remember, the miracles bore testimony of the fact that Jesus was sent from God. You remember the story of Nicodemus, how he snuck in at night to be to, to talk to Jesus, to ask Him questions? And he makes the statement, nobody could do the things that you do. There's something special about you. And so Peter confronts the people. You knew what he did. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then Peter quotes from the Psalms to demonstrate what had happened had been foretold. Before the council, Peter says in chapter 4, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man, by him, this man, Peter, is standing before you now. Peter, again before the council in chapter 5, now this time he had been thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. He was released, went right back to preaching, doing the very things that they told him not to do. They call him in and he's before the council and in his defense before the council in verses 30, excuse me, 33 through 37, uh, excuse me, verses 30 through 32, we read, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hang him, hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him to His right hand as leader and Savior. You killed Him. God raised Him. Paul says the same thing in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. As he's speaking about this risen Savior. In verse 33 through 37, Paul says, This He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that He raised Him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, He says also in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. By the way, the word fell asleep, and I, you heard me read it in, a, in some of our reading earlier, in the New Testament refers to a believer's death. It never talks about a believer dying. It talks about a believer falling asleep. And that's too because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because we have the hope for eternal life. See? We fall asleep into the arms of Jesus, so to speak, and wake up in His presence. Paul goes on. 
was, and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. So the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was a fact of history, is a fact of history. As I mentioned earlier, we also see in the book of Acts that that's why Christians worship, began to worship on the first day of the week. Up until the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, worship was on the last day of the week, following the pattern that God had established in the work of creation working for six 24-hour time frames, and on the seventh, rested. Thus, that was the day of worship, the day of rest. In the New Testament, because Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, was raised on the first day of the week, the apostles, the disciples in that first century, worshipped on the first day of the week. And that's the pattern that we follow now, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 first of all emphasizes and by the way as you look at this letter we realize that Paul has written much to this church at Corinth. They had their struggles. They had their divisions. They had their church discipline issues. But it's also in this book that we have the chapter of love chapter 13 Uh, He also talks about marriage and things of this nature. And as he comes to the end of the book, he talks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing you see is the emphasis upon according to the Scriptures. In other words, this was foretold. You knew it in the Old Testament. This is the Passover lamb. What did the Passover lamb experience? That every lamb that was for every year, that Passover lamb was died. Excuse me, that Passover lamb was sacrificed. He died. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What did the lamb have to do? The lamb had to die. Several of the Psalms, David speaks to this. We read those within the context of our readings earlier. And so Paul emphasizes according to the Scriptures. In other words, God was not like Indiana Jones making it up as he went along. The Gospel had been announced in Genesis 3.15 within the context of what? The context of the fall, Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, their act of disobedience. And yet in the midst of this, God gives them the promise in Genesis 3.15 that a Savior would come. The Savior would accomplish what you could not accomplish. And in the midst of accomplishing that, He would crush Satan's head, but His heel would be bruised. That's the first Announcement of the Gospel. And then the rest of the Old Testament is is an unfolding of that. Until you come to a, a portion of Scripture like Isaiah 53, where the work of Jesus is laid out in terms of His suffering. That He went to the cross like a lamb. A lamb led to the slaughter. Now, 
with Christ's work according to the Scriptures. He had to suffer. And in the Hebrew, it's the crushing of a heel. Now, if you've had a stone bruise on your heel, it's painful. But it's not what? It's not going to kill you. It's not mortal. And so Christ was going to suffer. And that suffering involved a physical death. But on the third day, what happened? He was raised from the grave, right? And with that, the crushing of Satan's skull, which is the picture of complete destruction. So, with the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see, He has accomplished God's plan and God's people are saved. And the Scripture said this. And then, and then Paul goes on to talk about witnesses. What's the importance of a witness? They saw Him. Thomas was a witness. Remember? He touched the hands. My Lord and my God. Paul goes on, uh, beginning in verse 5 in chapter 15. Cephas, who is Peter, you see. Uh, then to the twelve. Then to five hundred brothers. Oh, there's that phrase. Some of these have fallen asleep. and Some of them have died. They've gone to be with Jesus. But most of them are alive. So, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. Then he appeared to James, Paul says. And then Paul talks about the Lord appearing to Himself. The importance of witnesses. Jesus Christ said He was going to do it. Jesus Christ did it. These people saw Him. They touched Him. They ate with Him. They spent time with Him. It's interesting that Paul makes an in, uh, takes a, a, a case in verses 12 through 19, that is stated in such a way that if, if Jesus hadn't been resurrected, and if you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, and He wasn't resurrected, in verse 19, Paul writes, if in Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are of all people the most to be pitied. In other words, if Christ wasn't really resurrected from the grave, and we're trusting in Him for salvation, we're the stupidest of all the stupid people ever to walk on this earth. And if that's true, why in the world do we waste Sunday morning by coming here? Because if Christ was still in that tomb when those women went there on that first day of the week, what kind of hope do we have? Therefore, we're pretty, pretty stupid. That's what Paul is saying. But it's within the context, you see, of then saying, but yes, He did come back. Yes, He was raised from the grave. Therefore, rather than pity, we have hope. A glorious hope. Our salvation is guaranteed. Our forgiveness is guaranteed. We have been justified. Justified by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in that last portion that I read, Paul talks about the victory that is ours because of His victory over the grave, over death. And thus that beautiful phrase, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bonds of death have been broken. And we have this glorious hope. The biblical word hope makes reference to an expectation. It simply hasn't happened yet. But we know that it is. Therefore, Paul ends his discussion. In other words, as he's talking to these people in Corinth who've been going through an awful lot, he now talks about that resurrection and the encouragement that comes with that, the blessing that comes with that. And he ends this discussion with the word, therefore. Therefore is one of those words in Scripture that connects thoughts. Because of the resurrection, Paul says, My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, it's the picture in which as we get weary in the battle, as we get tired in, 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 in waiting for His glorious return, as we physically become worn out because of all the demands to live our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to be this, this individual who's seeking to acknowledge the Lord in everything that we do. And we have people that make fun of us. We have the world that mocks us. We have even believers that are suffering physically because of the persecution. But Paul says, therefore, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, be steadfast. In other words, the ability to be strong in the midst of a storm that's going on around us, to be solid, to be dependable. Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I can, I can make it through the storm. And the picture with steadfast is that picture of, of an individual standing in the midst of all the turmoil that's going on around him with both feet solidly planted in the Scripture and being able thus to withstand the storms of life as they come steadfast, solid in the Lord. The word immovable is the picture of not swaying back and forth. Listen as I read from Ephesians chapter 4 as Paul talks about the relationships within the body. And he talks about how we help each other grow. And in that growth, we all profit so that we become mature. And so Paul writes in verse 14 of chapter 4, as we become mature, so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In other words, as we grow up into maturity, we're not... You know, you kind of picture a beach ball on waves and how it's just bounced around all over the place, you see. In other words, we know what we believe. We know the truth of Scripture and we help each other to grow in that. 
And thus, when these challenges come, new perspectives of Paul, federal vision, uh, question of length of creation, all these kind of things, you see, we're not shaken, we're immovable. We know the truth of Scripture and we don't hop on the latest theological thing that comes along. The picture would be like the Roman soldier who, in it's interesting, in, in modern warfare, the Romans were one of the first to use the concept of cleats. They would drive spikes through their sandals so that they could grip the ground and, and, and they could move quickly from one place to another, but they could also you know, dig in so that when the enemy would, would, would fall upon them, they wouldn't be, wouldn't be pushed back, you see. We have that same concept in terms of football when it's fourth and one. Critical play, you see, is the defense going to stop them? And what do you see? You see those linemen digging into the ground so they would be immovable. Well, that's the picture here. We're solid. Christ has been raised from the grave. We're solid. The third thing Paul tells them is to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, to always be involved in the things that the Lord desires for us to be. Now, when you think about the work of the Lord, you've got to be careful that we don't think specifically in terms of uh, what I do on Sunday because Christ is Lord Monday through Saturday as well as Sunday. You find that in the book of Colossians. He is preeminent in all things. In other words, as I seek to live my life, as I'm abounding in the work of the Lord, I have a family that seeks to operate on biblical principles. If I'm an employee, then I seek to, to, to work in such a way that demonstrates the reality of Jesus Christ to those around me. If I'm, if I'm an employer, then I take care of my people as Christ would want me to take care of them. As I relate to one another within this body, we deal with each other as Christ would have us to deal with each other. And yet also, as we step outside and deal with those in the world around us, we treat them with respect because they're made in God's image. And we treat them like Jesus Christ treated those around Him as we seek to be salt and light in the midst of the darkness of our culture. Always abounding, Paul says, in the work of the Lord. And we can do that because we know that the work that we do in the Lord is never in vain. It's never wasted. So Paul is saying to these Christians in this first century, with all the challenges going on within that little church, the church discipline, the divisions, the lawsuits, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because Christ lives, we can be steadfast. We can be immovable. We can be busy about the things of our Lord. And we know that within God's kingdom, nothing is wasted. You know, one of the greatest examples of that is the ministry of Hudson Taylor. Are you familiar with Hudson Taylor? Missionary to China. Literally became Chinese 
to minister to those people. And he may have never seen a single convert in all of his years of ministry. Modern America would look at that and say, what a failure. That's like looking at a coach who builds men. And because he's got a losing record, he's a failure. And yet the men that play under him are outstanding because of the influence of that man. But, part of the problem of our culture. But as we said in Sunday school, guys, we're not to be conformed, right, to the world, but we're to be transformed. That we would be what God wants us to be. You guys are on the edge of a new beginning. And I think I said the wrong name in the prayer, and I apologize for that. It is Tim, I know that. And he's coming, I know that. Okay? No matter what the struggles are that have gone on before or that are going on right now, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, because our King lives and He reigns, and because we have a glorious expectation because of what He did, that we can labor within the ministry to which He has called us. And we can know that it will bear fruit because our labor in the Lord is never in vain. And P.S., Just because you have a new shepherd coming, that doesn't mean you sit on your rears and do nothing. Read Ephesians 4. The gifts that God has given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to train the people. Saints is what He calls you. Now we're not talking about that headhunting bunch down in New Orleans. Saints, a word that Paul used to describe believers. The training of the saints for the work of the ministry. Enter into this new age with excitement because Christ lives. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for the promise. The promise that is ours based upon the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the grave on that third day. And that He has commissioned us to go forth because He is the King who sits at the very right hand of God our Father. Strengthen us for the task ahead. May we be faithful as we serve our Lord. For it's in His wonderful and awesome name that we pray. Amen.